Do you believe in alternate universes? You are listening to Delayed Replay. The Improvised Movie Review Podcast. Wink. Everything is fine here. We're all fine. Just sit tight and listen to them talk about the movies they definitely saw. Don't delay. Don't delay. We have to listen right away. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Delayed Replay. I'm your host, Stephen Schinder. And this time we are talking about Ghostbusters Afterlife. You know, I, I was trying to figure out who to have as a guest host on this episode. I thought to myself, who am I going to call? Joey Mays. How are you, dude? <laughs> you know, that was excellent. I've been waiting for people to uh, throw my name into the Ghostbusters theme song. And uh, who better to do it than uh, Steven Schinder? So I appreciate that. That is uh, excellent. And I uh, thank you so much for having me on. You know, uh, I've gotten to talk about Ghostbusters a, a lot recently. And when you said, uh, hey, let's talk about Afterlife, uh, I definitely wanted to uh, participate. Yeah. And like you answered the call, you know. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Had to throw that in there too. <laughs> but it's all Ghostbusters. It's all good. Yeah. I, I was kind of thinking about this how, like, guest host, like, if you cram those two words together, it looks like ghost, you know? So, <laughs> You're right. It does. Spooky. <laughs> Portman 2 or whatever uh, the proper uh, wording is. Yeah. A portmanteau. Yeah. I think you're right. But yeah, you were recently on IPC's Ghostbusters episodes, which I'll link in the show notes. And like you were on their first one and the voicemail on the second one. And you were back for like the Ghostbusters 2016 discussion, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I was with them to talk about the original uh, from 1984. And then I was unfortunately unavailable to discuss 1989's Ghostbusters 2. I did send in a you know short voicemail just for them to interlace so I could get my thoughts on it. And then they uh, asked me back to uh, talk about the reboot from 2016, Ghostbusters Answer the Call. And it was a great time talking with Zach, Ben and Jake, uh, two of which I know have been on uh, your show before. Yeah. And like, I think it was in the chat uh because, like, these things get broadcasted on channel 1138 on Mixler, uh, just like this show. Um, I think, like, during the chat for the second one, I pretty much, like, just hijacked the chat and it was like, hey, Joey, we should talk about Ghostbusters Afterlife. So, like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's funny. It's the only one that I was, you know, I was a live recording for uh, one and three but number two i managed to sneak into the chat while i was uh, away for the weekend and i couldn't listen so i was just chatting whatever i could think of for ghostbusters 2 and and you were there and we were just kind of chatting about it and then you were like hey you should uh, come on uh, delayed replay we should talk about afterlife so here we are yeah and afterlife came out like a month ago but like still really wanted to talk about it and like with IPC talking about the others, I, you know, pretty much just riding on their coattails, really. It's a good convergence to things happening at, at, at the uh, same time, you know, but it made sense. I've been begging the IPC guys to talk about Ghostbusters and with Afterlife just happening, it was uh, the best time for them to do it. So now it's a good time to talk about the, the most recent entry. 
Yeah. So before we go into like what we thought of Afterlife, I guess we should go into our personal experiences with the franchise overall. So like, what are your experiences with like the Ghostbusters franchise? Uh, completely 100% been with me as long as I can remember. So, you know, I, I'm uh, I'm an 80s kid. I grew up uh, watching the Ghostbusters uh, animated series, the real Ghostbusters. That's really what got me linked into the franchise. And then I believe, I can't confirm 100%, but I believe I saw Ghostbusters 2 in the theater. I would have been uh, four to five years old. I, I hadn't seen the original movie until I was uh, older, but it was just something that was always in my life and in my friends and the neighbors' lives. And it's just something that stuck with me since then. So I've had, you know, 30 plus years in the Ghostbusters universe. Uh, things have come and gone, but it's, I've always been interested in it. And it just seems that this third movie in the original canon has always been out there and sizzling. And finally, it was brought to the uh, front burner and uh, they were able to get it done. Uh, with Afterlife, um, you know, they had they had kind of a little diversion a few years ago with uh, a, a a reboot of sorts. But um, you know, I I enjoy all the movies, all the uh, TV shows they've done, um, Extreme Ghostbusters as well, and the video game. It's a pretty broad and diverse set of uh, you know intellectual property because there's a huge comic series, and and I I buy and, and collect all that as well. So it's pretty much if it's Ghostbusters related, I'm on it. I'm interested in it, and uh, it's something that I, I don't see changing anytime soon. It's kind of my the biggest uh, property in my life. Yeah, I was looking at clips and gameplay and cutscenes of that video game from 2009, which is pretty much like a Ghostbusters 3. It takes place in yeah. 1991. It's probably more fun to play it than to like just watch it. But um, I, I could kind of see how it could work as like a third movie if it had been made back in the day. They would just need to add in character moments in between the action stuff here and there, like more, I guess, quiet scenes. Um. Like the cadet that you play as doesn't really talk at all, does he? The rookie. Yeah, no, he doesn't say anything. Right. Yeah, that that's kind of weird. But yeah, it, it does feel like some of it matches the aesthetic of the first two films. And like it takes a while for it to add some newer things, I think. Like that spider lady, which yeah. was kind of cool. But overall, it seemed interesting. So where do the comics fit like in the canon, if at all? I'm curious. Uh, so there, it's interesting because it's hard to focus on canonicity, uh, if that's even a word, uh, with the Ghostbusters. It's very similar to how Star Wars used to operate, where there was like, G, you know, the G-level canon with what George considered canon and then the expanded universe. And there may have even been more than two two levels. I think there could have been three, but... Ghostbusters operates kind of more on that way than the way Disney has rebranded Star Wars, where everything it should be aligned. The original two movies take precedent over everything. I don't know exactly where Ghost Core would say the reboot fits. I think they're trying to make it kind of a you know, parallel dimension type thing that this is part of Ghostbusters, but it doesn't fit into the original timeline. Uh, the video game is supposed to be like you mentioned, basically the third movie uh, at, at that's what it was assumed for so long. But then with afterlife coming up, you know, we, we kind of saw that that wasn't true. 
the comics play more like, well, comics. They take some liberties with things. They incorporate not only the main movie universe, they bring in the, the reboot universe. They actually bring in stuff from both cartoons and the real Ghostbusters and extreme Ghostbusters. And they kind of merge all the multiverses together. Uh, so there's no real specific or strict canon. It's kind of the movies are one thing, the cartoons are another, the comics are another, and they can all interact. But the main grouping is, is always going to be the original movies. Yeah, I guess it's kind of a fluid sort of canon system. And I mean, like in the real Ghostbusters show, like it's supposed to be in a world where like they are more real than like the first two movies. Like they mentioned the actors and the movies, right? Yeah, so there's an episode in the real Ghostbusters where they are called in as consultants on the movie Ghostbusters, the 1984 version. They actually show clips from the 1984 uh, real, you know, the actual live action Ghostbusters movie in the cartoon. And they make a whole bunch of jokes at their expense. Uh, one of my favorite is when I believe it's a real Ghostbusters animated version. Winston says, Vankman, Ramus, and uh, Stan, or not, not Stan, it's Aykroyd, Ramus, and Murray. Yeah, it's the, it's the character, or the, excuse me, the actor's names. And he says, it sounds like a law firm. Uh, so <laughs> it, they just, uh, they really play it up that they try to make it sound like they are the real Ghostbusters. And of course, that's the real part of that was related more to that Filmation had a TV show called Ghostbusters and they couldn't use Ghostbusters on their own. So the real part of it comes from the uh, licensing issue with the other Ghostbusters show that was on at the time. But they kind of make it uh, that they are the real Ghostbusters. The cartoon is the is what's happening and this movie is based on them. So theoretically, if this is a universe where like they have the Ghostbusters movie, then like Zombieland could be in the same universe as like real Ghostbusters. It's like Bill Murray is in that movie and they like mention the Ghostbusters movie, right? Yeah, yeah. And and it's actually, <laughs> believe it or not, it's actually people talk about the movie from the 90s, Casper. Uh, being a, a Ghostbusters movie or in the Ghostbusters universe because Dan Aykroyd shows up in full Ghostbusters apparel wearing his race dance flight suit saying, uh, who are you going to call? And he says someone else and runs away from the house that Casper is haunting. So, Yeah, the 1995 <laughs> Casper movie. That was, that was a funny cameo. Like, it did make me question like whether Casper could like fit into the Ghostbusters movie canon. And it's like... I mean, sure, why not, right? Right, yeah. I mean, I think he would be a, a great fit. What an incredible crossover opportunity. Maybe they'll take that up for uh, the Afterlife sequel, because uh, that's certainly going to be something that's going to happen. But Casper, I think, would be a perfect addition. You know, you got Slimer in the originals and and Stay Puffed, especially the way that they're portrayed in the, the cartoon universe. Casper would fit seamlessly in, in uh, either a cartoon or live action version of Ghostbusters. I think that's something that they should definitely uh, work towards we ghostbusters lent their hand to uh the casper movie universe it's time to casper to cross over into the ghostbusters universe that that'd be cool like my personal experiences with ghostbusters is kind of limited like i feel like i might have seen the first movie or two as a kid i know my brother uh probably did i don't know i feel like there's a point where 
I thought like the Ghostbusters logo and the Pillsbury Doughboy were like the same thing because of like the <laughs> Stay Puffed, whole, that whole thing. Yeah, um, I, I know for sure. I decided to like give them like a full watch, like sometime in the early 2010s, I think. So it would have been like high school or after, and. I remember thinking back then, like that, the first two movies, like, like just again, yeah, they're okay, I guess. But when I watched them again more recently, I, I liked them more than I did back then. It, it's, it's kind of weird. Like, um, I guess I enjoy them a bit more as an adult, like the humor in them, and it reminded me of like the way I compare the first two is kind of like how I compare the first two. Neverending Stories, which I also watched recently. Um, the first one in both series, they pop more with like the music and the visuals. But in the second installments, I prefer how the main characters are, how they've grown and matured a bit, if that makes sense. No, yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. I think that's a great way to uh, to link them together. I, it's uh, it works really well. I, I completely understand where you're coming from, and I've heard there are I know plenty of um, casual Ghostbusters fans and and very diehard Ghostbusters fans that will say very similar things. There's, and there's plenty of people that say they prefer the second one to the first for a variety of reasons that some of it is nostalgia related. Uh, some are like me that maybe they, that was the first one they got to see in the theaters or that's the one they grew up watching. And then there's others that just uh, enjoy um, the slightly lighter tone that the second one carries, or maybe the uh, organization they feel is, is done a little better with uh, the villain working his way throughout the whole thing. But, uh, you know, I think both of them are really strong and, and good movies. And I, I you, you know, you mentioned this, uh, uh, the humor when you're younger, you don't quite get the comedy aspect of of them, especially the first one. Uh, it, it's definitely aimed at a an older, more mature audience. And if you watch it when you're younger, and I believe the original Ghostbusters was PG because I don't even think PG thirteen existed in 1984. Right. So you know, I it it wasn't it wasn't over the top at least for the most part, but it was just. The, the illusions and the language younger kids just aren't going to get it uh, and that the movie still grabs a hold of, of younger people is I, I, I feel like is a, a positive thing for the movie, a testament to uh, the rest of the writing and the stuff that they come up with, uh, with the, the, the graphics and uh, the special effects and the equipment and the iconography, all that stuff stands out and people latch onto it. And then as you get older, then the jokes land better and you're like, wow, this movie, maybe it does really have a, a lot going for it. Yeah. And um, I, I also watched the 2016 film more recently. Um, I actually watched it on like mid afternoon, August 10th. And I realized like the next day that like, uh, like the next day, August 11th was Chris Hemsworth's birthday. But like, in Australia, as I was watching the film, it was already August 11th. So I guess you could say I technically watched Ghostbusters 2016 on Chris Hemsworth's birthday. So that's kind of funny. Now, if you're going to um, celebrate Chris Hemsworth's birthday, I think Ghostbusters Answered the Call is definitely the way to do that. <laughs> right. Get that 
cabin in the woods garbage out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and don't watch anything related to Thor, you know, Marvel. Don't you don't want any of that. You want to go answer the call. I mean, I th- I think he was pretty funny and answered the call. Um, so I I don't think that's a, a jab at him in, in any way. I think uh, his character of uh, Kevin is uh is pretty is pretty funny. Yeah, I think how I'd score the movie is similar to how you scored it on IPC. I think it was like a 6.5 out of 10, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I believe it was a 6.5. Yeah, I, that's definitely the lowest I would give it because there's days and, and, and parts that I watched that I'm like, this is better than that. But overall, it, it just isn't quite on the, the same level as, as the first two. So I had to drop it down a little bit. Uh, yeah, I think 6.5 is where I ended up. Yeah, so like I, I ended up thinking, eh, the movie's okay. It's not in the same tier as the first two movies, um, which are probably a point something for me, but it's not a complete abomination. And like, you know, if like someone uh, came up to me and we were going to watch a movie and they're like, hey, want to watch Ghostbusters 2016? Like, I don't think I'd be like super opposed. It's not like one of those movies where I'm like, Oh, really this thing that derailed the franchise or whatever other people might say you know? no I, i'm right there with you and and i i said this on the ipc episode you know i wouldn't mind seeing a sequel like i enjoyed the, their premise and their version enough that i would go see the you know those four ladies come back and reprise their roles uh you know bring hey bring kevin back you know do whatever you want and and do your version of uh, the Zool story as they tease at the end of it. Uh, and really saying I would spend money to go see another version or a, a, a second in the series, I think is, you know, decent enough praise for it. Uh, and I also like when it's just randomly on television, when I'm scrolling through cable and don't really have anything I'm ready to watch. And if I scroll there and Ghostbusters 2016 is on, I stop and watch it. So, you know, it, it, is, it is what it is. Is it amazing? No. But do I enjoy it and find parts of it funny? Yes, absolutely. I guess I also kind of like the color palette of it. But that's, I don't know, like like the way the ghosts looked didn't really bother me. But I don't know. Like, it's... It's yeah, that, fine, I guess. <laughs> that was one of the things that, especially initially when the trailers came out for it, you know, four plus years ago now, that really stood out to me because it seemed to be, to me, it was just very vibrant or oversaturated. And it just, it looked too fake for me. And I know talking about ghosts is, it's tough to call something fake and something real, but it just didn't have the same sense of realism as I thought some of the aspects of the original did. But I, I love the designs of the ghosts. I think the Times Square scene where everything kind of flashes back in time and all these ghosts come out, I think it's really, really, uh, it's a really fun scene and really well done. I, I kind of wish they would have turned the vibrance down or, or changed the, the color uh, palette a, a bit, but um, they went with that. And that's one of the, the directions that they uh, chose a bit differently. I also agree that the cameos felt kind of weird. Like, if you have the guys back, why not try to make it the same timeline? But, I mean, we're kind of derailing the discussion a yeah. bit. Well, but, I mean, that, that yeah, you're exactly right. That was one of my points. And I know doing a cameo in one or two days isn't the same thing as asking for them to be there for, you know, two or three months or whatever it would be. But if they're all willing to do it, they all have to have some form of interest. So you would think they would want to, you know, do something bigger and better and that's what led to afterlife yeah so like overall i think 2016 is okay it's not like the child's play remake where i'm like oh this is an insult to the original series especially since they did it 
without the creator who's still doing his own child's play stuff like in these other movies and the show but i digress um I also noticed in Ghostbusters 2, there was that woman who predicted the world would end on, like, Valentine's Day 2016. I, I think it would have been funny if the 2016 movie came out, like, around then, and the, or they set it on that day. Yeah, I, was it 2016? I kept thinking it was that was 2014. Maybe it was 2016. I get those dates confused in my head, but I know that the year that it came up, I, of course, made a huge Ghostbusters post on Valentine's Day because I was just telling everyone, hey end of the world's happening today i hope you're ready yeah yeah it was 2016 and weirdly enough valentine's day 2016 is like the last time i was like feeling the valentine's day spirit like sending online cards to friends and whatnot um but since then not so much <laughs> well maybe that's what she was alluding to in the movie then was the the end of the uh the the kinship the friendship uh, that that you had held so dear just uh, was shattered on valentine's day 2016 <laughs> uh yeah i won't get into all that but yeah i don't want i don't want to dig into your your personal life here it's just uh yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm making it sound worse than it actually is, but <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Ghostbuster is Afterlife. I guess we'll like get into that now. It opens with these kids, Trevor and Phoebe and their mom, Callie. They're in this new house and they're like discovering like all these things that relate to Spangler and it's like all this Ghostbusters related stuff. And like you have like these little parts of the score here and there where it's like a callback to the Ghostbusters theme, which I thought was pretty effective. Like it wasn't too over the top right away. It was just like, you know, a little subtle callback, you know? Yeah. They had um, the piano tr uh, uh, trill or whatever it is uh, when they're, when uh, the voiceover is talking there at the end and they're alluding to things. I, I thought it was well done. It wasn't quite what I expected when I was anticipating the, the first trailer, but after watching it dozens of times, it, it really, it really, <laughs> it really sat well with me. I really enjoyed it. It made me look forward to the release of the movie. And that's all I really want from a trailer. I, you know, I don't think it dived into story that much or, you know, we didn't get to see the original crew. We get to hear voiceover from uh, Bill Murray, but there's enough illusions in there that it definitely, you definitely know that, hey, this may be a new generation, but we're going to get a lot of the old cast. And uh, yeah, the, the Spangler stuff, there were rumors about that for a long time. And then the trailer obviously really, really fired those up super, super high because in, in that trailer, you just see um, McKenna Grace's character. Um, she is full on doing her best Egon impression from, you know, her, her tousled hair to, to the glasses, which are just spot on Egon um, from the first two films. I thought it was kind of weird that Trevor is played by the one of the kids from Stranger Things and they yeah. did like their whole Ghostbusters homage. So like, I guess that was like his little audition tape in a sense. But did it ever break the immersion for you that like seeing him in that and then seeing him in this? Yeah, I know that Finn Wolfhard kind of became a household name with Stranger Things. And I know a lot of people when he was cast in this were concerned that this was going to be just a modern version of Stranger Things doing more of a Ghostbusters shtick. But <laughs> the, the, the best thing for me is I have not gotten through all of Stranger Things, so I haven't become su supremely attached to Film Wolfhard as just being a Stranger Things 
uh, entity. Uh, he, to me, is uh, known for that, obviously, because I've seen enough of it to link him with that. But now I know him from actually being a, a Ghostbuster in Afterlife. And uh, I, I love the casting. I believe Jason Reitman has gone on record and said that they, they had some, you know, trepidation in casting him because they weren't sure that people were going to be okay with him taking on that role after what he was doing in Stranger Things. But he blew them away. And I'm an advocate for, I want the best person to get that the role. Like, I don't care what they're associated with. I don't care about any of the, any of the things you want to label them. If they're best person for that role or the best actor for that role, they deserve to get it, no matter the, the baggage that some people might think think they bring with them. Yeah, I think for like the first 10 minutes of the movie, like the Stranger Things connection was like in the back of my mind, but I got used to how he was playing Trevor in this and I feel like he looks different enough here to I I guess not see them as the same character. So I think he found his footing in this movie. Yeah, I think he he did a, a good job, but I think maybe the best part of, of this for, for the people that were a little um, taken aback by the casting is you, you don't have to worry it because while his uh, character Trevor, you know, is is in there a lot, the the main focus is Phoebe, is McKenna Grace. Like she is the one that they lean heavily on to um, bring this Ghostbusters movie into the next generation. You know, them them being siblings is great and all, but I think Phoebe outshined Trevor. They definitely have good interplay, but I feel like Phoebe has some of the best lines in this. And I love how like, she has this catchphrase, like instead of saying sounds good, she'll say sounds goof, which... <laughs> I mean, just, yeah, but that's, I mean, it's it's perfect. It works so well with her character and it's just something that you could see, uh, you know... Uh, a you know they they're, they're, they rely heavily on her relationship or her um di- direct uh, uh grandparentage of uh of a spangler and they they go hard into the science look and maybe maybe a bit stereotypically at times but you can just imagine someone with that look and that pedigree saying sounds goof and yeah. then they just they just <laughs> they they play right into it it's great you know she gets it in a couple times it always makes sense and, uh, you know, hey, maybe we'll start seeing uh, action figures where you, you pull a string or hit a button and uh, McKenna Grace says, sounds goof. <laughs> oh, gosh. Toy Story, Ghostbusters crossover when? <laughs> uh, I'm all for that. You, uh, you get Buzz Lightyear <laughs> you get Buzz Lightyear with a proton pack. I think that sounds amazing. Yeah. Like make a Toy Story short where like he meets the Ghostbusters as toys, you know? <laughs> I did. I did enjoy. um when when uh phoebe and trevor um when they get the the ecto out which it was it was fun to see uh the original ecto back and the fact that they finally confirmed which would a lot of ghostbusters fans have wondering was there always two cars you know because in the original there was uh the ecto the ecto one and then in the sequel in 1989 we get the ecto 1a and people have always wondered well is that just the original car that they souped up and and you know made better and or did they cast off the original and get a second? And we find out that they did cast off the original and got a second one in, in the sequel movie in 89. But we see that original one come back here and you can see that the Ghostbusters, uh, including both Ray and Egon over the years, have been tinkering with it and changing it. That's where you get the pop-out seat, the gunner seat that, that comes out. And it's the whole reason behind the um, huge drama that surrounded the discussions of, oh my gosh, the uh, 
the the roof rack is not exactly accurate and the ladder is on the wrong <laughs> side like we find out on all in this there's two ghostbusters ectos the the 1a um was used for a while but the one was sitting somewhere and, and here it is we get to see it uh it's it's awesome to see the original back it's not in great shape uh but i did love the uh, nod to um the 80s uh you know, just a l- little bit more linked to the past where uh, they just casually mention uh, the flux capacitor that was added to the, the Ecto. Um, <laughs> I, I, I very much appreciated that. You know, it's just in passing that they don't focus on it or anything like that. Um, but it, it, it was it was fun little nod to a fellow 80s franchise. Yeah, and it's especially funny because we have Paul Rudd in this. And you know, his line in Endgame, Back to the Future is BS. <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. I was glad to see him in this too. I'd say I'm a pretty big Paul Rudd fan. I guess like if I hear that he's in something, I'm like, oh, he'll probably be great in it. Um, the only exception I think is like when he played Mike on Friends. Like I feel like he wasn't like given as much funny stuff to do as he could have like he's not as funny on friends as he is and like all this other stuff he's been in so it's like when i rewatched friends last year i was like paul rudd you could be doing so much more i know you you can do better than this yeah, yeah he it's funny he that was the first time that i had seen him in anything and you know he's in those last seasons as phoebe's love interest and eventual husband and we get the uh, incredible episode where he calls himself banana hammock and you know there's a lot of opportunities for him to show his comedic range but uh they kind of don't allow it uh to grow as as much as you would hope after you see him in everything else that he does but i'm just like you anytime you say paul rudd's in a movie i'm like oh it's gonna be good like or at least i'll like his character because i can't think of a movie where i didn't like his role whether it's big or small and and this this movie was no exception paul rudd absolutely kills it uh, it was just great for everything to come full circle because years ago when one of the many GB3, um, you know, the, the 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 third movie in the series was talked about, Paul Rudd was in consideration to be a Ghostbuster that, you know, they, they Ghostbuster in training. And, um, well, guess what? He picks up a proton pack and we get to see Paul Rudd be a quasi Ghostbuster. So... His name in this movie is, he's Mr. Guberson in this Guberson, movie. yeah. Yeah, I think, like, this is the second time I've seen him play a teacher. He played a teacher in The Perks of Being a Wallflower. So that one wasn't a comedic role. It was, like, more of a, kind of a mentor uh, dude with some words of wisdom kind of role. But he was good in that, too. I don't know, I, I, I just have to, like, mention this real quick, like, We've been going on the tangents with friends, and that's also the name of your podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. And, like, and also, you can't have friends without a Joey, so that's pretty fitting. <laughs> yeah, there, there's there's a lot of things that come full circle and the stuff that I like. Tangents, going off on tangents is one of the things I'm known for and loving friends. And I named my show Tangents with Friends because I wanted to have my friends come on, and I wanted to take a tangent away from sports because that's the main podcast that I did was about sports. But I didn't want to talk about you know, geeky, nerdy things like television and movies on my sports show. So I was like, well, I'm going to take tangents with friends. And uh, that's what that's what I do with all of my podcasts and everything that I end up being on is just uh, usually forcing tangents upon everyone. Should also do a spinoff called Tangents with Joey. 
tangents with Joey. <laughs> and as long as my, my first guest is Joey, I'm okay with that. <laughs> but yeah, I do have Mr. Gruberson's like enthusiasm when like looking at the equipment and it did kind of remind me of like Stranger Things as well, how there's like that teacher who's like telling them all the scientific stuff. But if, I don't know, it feels like Mr. Gruberson fits in a bit more with like the whole Ghostbusters vibe. I don't know, like, do you, you feel the same way? Yeah, I definitely do. I mean, he, he he's the introduction to some of our characters uh, with the exposition surrounding him being the teacher. You know, he's kind of a link in there to help push the story along. And he's got to fill in the minds of McKenna Grace and um, Logan Kim, uh, her classmate, you know, that this stuff happened. You know, she brings the, the ghost trap in and, and he gets to tell everyone including the audience what happened 30 years ago because no one knows anything about it it's like in the star wars universe we're just a few years past and oh no one knows about the jedi anymore here <laughs> no one knows about the ghostbusters anymore even though you know they had a you know what a 50 what is a 60 foot marshmallow man or whatever the dimensions are that's probably way too small but no one knew anything about the marshmallow <laughs> man 30 years later really come on i mean you have a giant advertisement walking down your street you think people would remember it especially since it's basically forced the ghostbusters to go out of business but you know, apparently not so you get the you get mr gruberson in there who's kind of like a super fan you know he's got all the the, the clippings and then and the archive footage and it's really one of his uh fantasies to meet the ghostbusters and here he is teaching a family member of one of the originals so it's funny to see him go all super fan um, when he finds out who phoebe is and uh yeah but mr gruberson was fun he, he was a great character and i look forward to seeing him in, in whatever they do next yeah i also love the little scene where like he's at his home and he's watching that late 80s movie that was like a ripoff of et called mac and me because yes. like yeah <laughs> Because, like, if, if you've ever watched, like, Conan, like, whenever Paul Rudd is on there, he loves to show that clip from Mac and Me instead of, like, a clip from what he's actually on there <laughs> to talk about. And it's hilarious. Yeah, I, 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 I think one of my favorite parts of the movie is when they cut to Mr. Gruberson in his, in his home, you know. It's, it's it's toward the beginning, beginning middle area where he's uh, working out doing some jumping jacks and we finally get the association <laughs> with uh, part of the first movie when you start to hear the growls of a terror dog. And uh, that leads us to some some dramatic moments with Mr. Gruberson being chased just like uh, Rick Moranis' character was in, in the original. And uh, unfortunately for uh, Paul Rudd, he he suffered the same fate, so... Right, yeah, that dog was, like, snarling and whatnot. Like, how did that whole encounter, like, the way that played out, like, how do you think that was executed? It was fun that they did it the same way they did in the original with all practical effects. Um, you know, very little use of CGI other than some touch-ups here and there. Um, to have uh, someone working a mechanical version of the terror dog, uh, breaking through Mr. Gruberson's, uh, you know, front window while he's working out and then chasing him. He tries to get away and instead of running to... Um, uh, tavern on the green you know he's uh caught in his uh like what was like his his 86 cadillac or whatever he drives around and of course well like in any good movie fashion it doesn't start up properly and uh <laughs> all of a sudden all of a sudden the terror dog is on the on the front of his car on the hood of his car and um 
they, they, it's nice because they leave it up to the imagination of what happens next. You don't actually actively see him become possessed, uh, which is the same way that happened in the first one, you know, with Sigourney Weaver's character, Dana Barrett, the arms come out of the couch and she gets pulled into a room and, and that's it. And then next thing you know, um, she's been possessed and eventually becomes Teradog herself. And, and it was fun to see that work the same way here with Mr. Gruberson, uh, where, you know, you're, you're in the car with him. And next thing you know, um, he's walking around with red eyes, asking people if, if they're mudball. So (laughs) I was not prepared to see a possessed Paul Rudd, but, um, yeah, the kids figure it out. And like they try to get some help, like they go off of the knowledge uh, he had passed on to them about like the original Ghostbusters. So they like go out and try to look for them. And also going back to the 30 years thing, that does remind me of like Star Wars as well. There's like the 30 year gap between Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens. And all of a sudden Luke Skywalker is a myth. And I, I also like that the 30 years can be rounded. So it's like, oh, maybe that, video game stuff in 91 could still have happened. Like, I don't think there's, I think that directly contradicts it here. Yeah. Um, they don't, they don't make too many references to the stuff from the video game, specifically the, 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 the possessions and, and the ghosts and the demons. It was nice to see them though, use the, adi- the addition of the uh, different weaponry that is added to the pack throughout the game like you know you can see that there were those options added on the the new um the the new proton stream and and the um the the, the different type of uh slime dispensers uh the the boson dart like things like that they're casually mentioned and and shown uh in the progression of the proton pack over the years so i mean the the video game wasn't completely cast aside but they kind of pick and choose from it what they wanted i think picking stuff on the proton pack is a great great way to do that it doesn't mean that those entities didn't exist that they fought in the video game uh and it kind of leaves it open to interpretation to your imagination of whether or not everything that happened in in 1991 actually happened here in this movie so uh i, th- I think it was a great way to do it because it, it does it leaves it open to uh to the the fan and the viewer to determine uh if that's the case and the great thing is for people that have no idea what the video game is it doesn't matter it didn't impact the the film one way or the other right like they keep it accessible for anyone who hasn't played the game but there are these little references here and there for those with like eagle eyes or whatever the expression is it, well, no, exactly. The, the yeah, it's they're they're basically basically Easter eggs since they don't dwell on it, and it, will people you know hear hear the term or see the um the updated proton pack uh, in the basement of the old farmhouse there out out on the prairie? It, it's great. It really was really great. Right, and you know, with like a harvest festival coming up, they're like worried about like all the people who are going to be around and what can happen. So like, they're really scrambling to find the old Ghostbusters. Uh, so do like a deep internet search. Like it, it's like this little montage type of thing at the library, which I appreciated it. Like, you know, go to your local library, do some reading. Whatnot. And it's also a nice callback to that library scene in the first movie, I guess. And, um, yeah, they find Vankman's place and they manage to like break break in because like he doesn't answer. 
And like when they go in, it's dark and they turn on the lights and then all of a sudden you see like this ghastly image of Venkman, like he looks like a ghost. But then there's this curtain and they look behind him and he's just like using a projector type of thing, like Wizard of Oz. So like I thought that was pretty funny. Like did it surprise you at all? Like were you fooled right away? Yeah, I, I was. I thought it was well done. And it's it's funny because for so many years, Bill Murray said he was only going to do another Ghostbusters movie if he was a ghost. So at first I was like, oh, my, did they did they do it? Like, I feel like it's a little too <laughs> it's a little too much because, you know, with with Harold Ramis not being around to reprise his role of Egon Spengler, it would be kind of much to lose peter bankman and have him be a ghost in this film and then you know the, the, the exactly the curtain moves like literally and, and things change but i mean that's a great scene because i was a little surprised that they went with uh bill murray's bankman to be the first one introduced to us you know they talk about uh spangler so much because of the relationship with uh, our main characters here and my impression or my expectations were that ray you know dan ack would be the first one you see like they would have to call him or something like that because he's the heart of the ghostbusters he's the guy this has always been his thing uh but they know they go instead with uh you know the heavy hitter with the cleanup guy uh bill murray and that that was a great great um illusion to uh to make it seem like he uh he had passed on and was joining us as uh, maybe something that they would hunt down, but uh, it was great. And then just that, uh, you know, off-screen surprise where you hear the voice of uh, uh, Dana Barrett, uh, Sigourney Weaver, coming from from the room, and you realize that, uh, yep, it's finally happened. Uh, Peter and Dana are <laughs> together. So it only took thirty years for us to see it. <laughs> yeah, because like in the first movie, Venkman does the. He does like the Han Solo thing of being super annoying until the woman like falls for him or whatever. Because like, you know, Han Solo is not very, like he's not very James Bond, like the way Indiana Jones is. And it's like he, you know, Leia isn't like so easily taken with him and he's like constantly pestering her. And then eventually they become a thing, which is kind of weird, but it happens. And then in like Ghostbusters 2, like Dana has her son, but like she and Venkman like um, catch up and they go on this little date. But now here it's like, hey, they're finally together. It's finally a thing. Yeah, it's exactly. And and uh, after she makes her appearance and in, in her nightgown and, and, and Peter's just like, it's not what it looks like. And the kids are just like, what are you talking about? And then he's like, no, it's exactly what it looks like. And it's just a little nod to uh, the audience here that, hey, finally, yes, this has been happening. The end of Ghostbusters 2, things worked out. And now they've been together for uh, three decades. So it's it's great to to have that payoff because we thought we were going to get it in, in, in 1989. And uh, well, they went a completely different direction. Um, but by the end, you think they're together. But the first one, you kind of think that, oh, they're there together, right? And then, nope, they just throw that to the side in the second one. But here, finally, in the third one, yes, it's it, it has happened. So that was that was a great moment. Yeah, they don't really specify like what year they got together before this. Um, so like, I feel like you know the video game where he's hitting on that other woman could still have happened, and then they could have gotten together after that. But right. I, think, I think the lack of specificity benefits like the fans who want more things to fit together, you know? Yes, absolutely. Venkman is like still his like sarcastic self, which is 
entertaining to see and like Dana is like she like gives him a lecture about how he shouldn't be like playing with the projector trying to scare the kids or whatever so it's like this bickering back and forth type of thing feels very real and very entertaining um and you know after watching osmosis jones recently like just seeing how stiff of a character he plays in that and how like not very good of a performance that is like it it was great seeing that he's like very like he's very playing Venkman very lively here like it it feels like the same character and he's not just phoning it in you know yeah I I think it really hit him hard when Harold Ramis passed in 2014 and they didn't get to ever do this third movie um, all together and I think Bill regrets some of his actions or the distance that that he put between the two of them over the years uh, as a result of a falling out uh, on the sets uh, or in relationship with other movies. So I think this kind of made him realize I probably should have uh, done things better or uh, got together sooner. And I think this was very important to him. So I think he definitely did his best uh, related to the first movies rather than the uh, clunky cameo appearance in the 2016 version this definitely felt like true pure vankman once again does this little monologue about how like egon spangler was like a good friend to him and it feels like he's being both vankman and bill murray in that moment like saying nice things about his co-star which was very touching to hear even if it does kind of break the fourth wall and i mean he kind of does break the fourth wall here and there in ghostbusters too so it doesn't feel out of place to me no yeah i think it worked really well and you're right it does it's it's both bill murray peter vankman talking about Egon Spangler slash Harold Ramis. And it, again, it was it was nice to have him in the conversation with all of the original Ghostbusters talking to um, Phoebe, uh, Trevor, and uh, um, and Callie. I couldn't remember uh, the name of uh, Carrie Coon's character there for a second. Yeah, just to kind of have them all have that moment where they're all together um, filling in the gaps uh, and the history surrounding uh, uh, Phoebe and Trevor's grandfather uh and uh yeah it's uh i know people going into it were a little bit wondering was carrie coon's character callie was she going to be the daughter of egon spangler and then we find out no she is the daughter-in-law of uh egon but annie potts and egon were the ones that got together and and had the son and it was actually egon's son um that 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 married callie and uh and that's where Phoebe and Trevor come from, and that's relationship. Because you could see the the family resemblance in in Phoebe and Trevor, but we weren't sure where Callie fit into the equation. And you find out the, the tragic story surrounding uh, Egon Spengler and, uh, and and his son. They pretty much lost their grandfather and father in like the same boating accident, like all those years earlier, which was sad to hear about, but. Uh, Callie does have some really good lines about them as well, saying what great people they were. And, you know, it just makes everything feel connected and like, you know, the relationships feel very authentic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we see in the trailer that that drilling platform uh, that they're on 
So you, you think that a lot of the action is going to stem from that. And, and the main part of it does, but the flashbacks all taking place uh, on a lake. And, you know, you think that it's just father and son having a good time fishing. Um, but in, as we move through the movie, we find out they weren't just there for a leisure activity. It was in relationship to a paranormal study that ends up going wrong. And unfortunately, we tragically lose both of them. And it's just, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it hits home. It, it really it really hit home both uh, in, in the real life with not having Harold Ramis around, um, but the, the way they were able to work the edit so that you didn't necessarily need him there was kind of uh, an amazing feat of uh, editing and cinematography. Yo, yeah, I definitely agree. So, yeah, after Venkman and Dana are, like, caught up on this, I always feel like I have to say his last name instead of, like, his first name, Peter. You know, Peter. like, there are characters who are like that. Like, like I think Venkman or Bill Murray before I think Peter, you know? Right. Um, no, I, I'm with you. And this is kind of a tangent, but, like, as a kid, I watched Space Jam over and over on the VHS tape. And, like... In that movie, Bill Murray plays himself. But, like, as a kid, I didn't realize he was playing himself, like, playing an actor. I thought he was just some guy who was desperate to play basketball. But it turns out he's playing Bill Murray, who is desperate to play basketball in the <laughs> NBA. And yeah, and you have that that joke toward the end that went over my head as a kid, where, like, he shows up at the basketball game and the alien's boss is like whoa 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 nobody told me dan Aykroyd was in this picture and it's like completely <laughs> wrong actor <laughs> yes oh, excellent i love it love it so perfect that's probably the third time i've mentioned space jam on this podcast <laughs> it's just unavoidable <laughs> well it just relates to so many things yeah so yeah, they're caught up on all the new ghost activities that are going on. And so first they go and find Ray and catch him up. And then they find Winston. And what did you think of like their portrayals and like this now updated like iteration? Like how much have they changed? How much has stayed the same? So I, I think, you know, Ray is Ray. I mean, like, you know, we talk about like kind of Bill Murray and Peter Venkman feel like they could be the same character. I always thought that about uh, Ray and Dan, like Dan is Ray, Ray is Dan, because Dan is very much into uh, spiritualism and, and, you know, the other side. And that's and, and I feel like he would be the heart of any project. And that's exactly who uh, Ray Stance is. And he stays true to form. That's him. You know, he's always positive and upbeat and looking on the bright side of things. So um, he's very excited to get the the gang together, you know, but it, it does, it's, it is great that he kind of uh, is a little melancholy or, you know, he sees the bittersweet moments of getting to interact with, you know, a former Ghostbusters family here in, in the moment. Um, but in the end, everything, everything works out. Um, I do like kind of the deep cut that they do where we find out that Winston is the mayor of a small town. Uh, I just think it's, it's really cool that that's the way they went because there was a book written about 16 or so years ago where Winston becomes the mayor of New York city. And, it's just, you know, he's not the mayor of New York City here, but he is the mayor uh, back in his hometown. And I think that's cool that that's where they find him. You know, they get to have the the talk with the mayor. You know, you got to see that in every film. We got to talk with the mayor. And in this instance, it's uh, 
uh, Ernie Hudson's Winston Zedmore, who's the mayor. Uh, but they just are going to say, hey, we got to get together and go help uh, Egon's family. And uh, he, of course, heeds that call. It's a cool thing. And that, that book, you know, there's not a lot of ties to that book. Not too many people know about it. Not many people have read it. But to have them pull that aspect out of it, I thought was very, very cool. What was the title of the book? Like, do you remember? Oh, geez. Yeah, I, I have it here. It's very, um, trying to think what Ghostbusters. I know it was written by Sholly Fish. I'm trying to remember what the tagline was. I think it's The Return. Ghostbusters The Return. Okay. Yeah, Ghostbusters Return by Sholly Fish. It was published in 2004. It was only available for a short time because I believe it was the last book published by that publisher. I believe they went out of business shortly thereafter, so they never had additional um, printings. So it's a very rare book that I'm glad I bought as soon as it came out. It's worth a, a decent amount of money for a book. Uh, and it was it was a fun read. And like Winston becoming mayor at the end is a, a little bit of a twist that uh, you don't quite see coming, but it's... Uh, it's cool that they included that little nod in Afterlife. Yeah, I'm like looking at this page about it right now. It came out 2004 to commemorate the 20th anniversary of Ghostbusters. That's pretty cool. Yep, yep, very cool. Yeah, the title makes me think of Twin Peaks The Return, which is like there's absolutely nothing like Twin Peaks The Return. It's It's weird. <laughs> So yeah, they catch Ray and Winston up on everything that's going on, and uh, they decide to get into the jumpsuits again, and they talk about how uncomfortable the suits feel, because it's like been a while. Yeah, and they can't zip them up all the way, and you know, there's <laughs> holes, and it's just, it, 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 it's super fun, but you know, that they, they are the ones that you see in the trailer that uh, Phoebe, uh, you know, kind of brushes aside when she's first noticing all the, uh, the equipment that's in the basement of that old farmhouse. Uh, it's a good thing she had those so that they could use them here in the final act. Yeah, Winston says that, like, getting back in this suit feels kind of like a step back for him because like he as mayor he dresses very nicely and ray is like why have we never update these suits like make new ones and Beckman is like because these suits are what the people want and like you know he's talking to the audience right then and there. yeah yeah it's kind of like the chewy we're home moment the, you know yeah. this, this is what this is what people want and uh, I mean, he's not wrong. I want to see the flight suits. You know, we get to see the logo. We get to see the Ecto. We get to see the proton packs and the trap. Like we get to see that iconography that it just goes hand in hand with Ghostbusters. And yeah, it's kind of, you know, breaking the fourth wall or alluding to things, but it's uh, as close to a Chewy We're Home moment as, as we've gotten. I loved it. So he says, now let's go to the Harvest Festival before it becomes a Harvest Festival. Because, you know, uh, yeah. harvesting souls or whatever, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, using aspects of the old Shandor Mining Company fields was probably not in their best interest. But, you know, that's you, don't, you can't blame for the, the local nonprofit uh, running their harvest festival uh, on whatever grounds are available. But, yeah, it is a nice uh, little back and forth between, uh, well, the way this is setting up, it's not that harvest festival. It's a much worse type of harvesting. Right. And I did love the ghost designs at this event. Like there was one of them that looked like a really freaky scarecrow type of thing, which fits the aesthetic, I guess, 
were there any other ghost designs that really jumped out at you in this sequence? Well, I just, I, I mean, I like throughout the use of, of Chomper, you know, the ghosts that they first uh, see when they're when they're testing their equipment. And I like that he is able to escape until here at the end because he's just kind of this movie's version of Slimer. You know, they've got the similar builds, close in color scheme and, and the names, you know, Chomper, Slimer. It's just, uh, it's a good way for them to associate with uh, the original imagery of, uh, of the first two. And then the decisions here to just kind of create their own thing outside of that. Like we don't get Slimer. We don't get Stay Puft. They're not releasing any of the old guys. We don't get anything about Vigo. We get name drops of these, but we don't see them. So we get something uh, completely new that we haven't seen before. Um, that reminds me more along the lines of uh, kind of like the devil, uh, it's probably the best way I could describe what you're seeing. It's, but they, they go big again, and that's uh, all related to you know the the pits that are being disturbed, and he's underground and causing the earthquakes uh, in a place that has no fault line, like uh, Mr. Gruberson says. And we find out well that's because there's this giant devil-like ghost uh, stirring things up underground. Um, and of course, we find out then that this is the uh, the spirit of Evo Shandor, who um, his name is familiar in the first movie and talks about his relationship to the building at Central Park West and um, and the terror dogs. And it, it kind of reminded me that, that at least portions of the head remind me of the terror dog shape that we get to see in, in this movie as well. Yeah, I really love the colors, like the reds and the greens. It just... It's just magnificent to like how it's all put together. And of course, you know, they're trying to get Gruberson to be his normal self again. So he has like this inner struggle, which is kind of intense, but also kind of comedic in the way he and the ghost within are like talking to themselves. So I, I don't know, like, did that work at all? What well, I mean, it, it was a little rough and it might have been a little bit too on the nose. And I, it really made me think of Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, you know, because he it kind of like pseudo gets, you know, possessed by um, uh, by uh, Pim's wife in that, you know, she's trying to direct where where they need to go to find her in the what is, what is, it, what is it, the void, you know, type thing, the the, the uh, slipstream that they create from shrinking so much. Um, so it was just kind of weird to see them go in that direction with his character again. Um, and I don't know that they needed to throw some comedy into that uh, part of it with him being possessed. I don't know that we needed that, the inner monologues. I don't, that didn't quite land with me. I understand what they were trying to do, but it wasn't one of my favorite aspects. Yeah, that's fair. I do like the way that they confront everything. Like, it does feel... Well, here's the thing. Like, as far as, like, Trevor and Phoebe go, you know that nothing terrible is going to happen to them because, you know, they're kids or minors or whatever. But, like, you don't really go into a Ghostbusters movie thinking that, like, oh, there's going to be a major death or whatever. Like, I kind of wonder, like, if there's anyone out there who's ever gone into a Ghostbusters movie not knowing what it is and expecting it to be scary, you know? Yeah, it's a different type of scary. I mean, I don't want... It's not really jump scares you, and it's not full horror. It's just every so often they want to get you in some way, which I think they did a much better job in the in the first one than anything recently. Um, they've relied more on uh, comedic 
or tension rather than all out scares or jump scares or anything like that. But yeah, there's never going to be, you know, just like Star Wars is intended for kids, Ghostbusters is intended for kids too. And it's especially gotten that way um, after the first movie. And, you know, when you have a uh, child or teen leads, you're not going to expect to lose them. You're, you're going to keep things pretty grounded. So uh, I don't think you would go into this expecting anyone to die. It wouldn't be written into the script is, I guess, what you'd expect. Right. So they're fighting the ghosts. And I feel like the texture of the slime in this movie is more reminiscent to like Slime Time Live from Nickelodeon. I don't know if you've ever seen Slime Time Live, but that was a thing. Like almost more puffy. Like yeah. it's not as like sticky or slime. It's almost more like uh like a foamish kind of consistency rather than uh the, like a a honey or anything like that. It was uh a little bit more it wasn't translucent, it was kind of more opaque. Um but I think it was interesting to see them go this direction with the coloring since we did pink before uh, we did black in the video game. And now this time we get a, a blue. So yeah, I, I did appreciate that them uh, kind of running the gamut and introducing different colors of uh, the ectoplasmic residue. Right. Like we don't really get green like on Slime Time Live, but the texture definitely reminds me of that show. By the way, did you ever see Danny Phantom? That was like a Nickelodeon show about like ghost hunting. Oh, no, I'm not familiar with that. Oh, yeah, it was this animated show. And I kind of wonder if there's a Ghostbusters influence on that. Because like, you know, his parents have the jumpsuits and like these, um, like, I guess canisters or I, I think they call it a thermos. So I won't be surprised if there was like a influence on that. But yeah, it was a pretty good cartoon. I don't know, I'll have to check it out. Anyway, so, yeah, we get this climactic battle. Everyone's, like, running and screaming. And, like, I just realized that, like, in the Ghostbusters video game, what it was missing was, like, people running and screaming in the streets as stuff was happening. Like, it was like there were only cars in the street, which is kind of... Right, weird. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> those, uh, those NPCs running about, it was just kind of eerie and empty all the time. So it feels realistic in that sense, having all these people screaming. But yeah, Trevor and Phoebe also like aren't always sure what to do. But then they get like words of encouragement from all like the old Ghostbusters. And they talk about how like back in the day, they never knew like if they were going to make it. But they did it because it was their job. It was their priority. It was like their calling. Vegman is like, when you have a calling, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. And then you get like the classic Ghostbusters theme song playing in this like very victorious triumphant sequence where they're just taking down the ghosts. And it just it felt very effective to me. Right. And I did enjoy the song coming back and I enjoyed the cameo of Ray Parker Jr. making it into the movie yes. this time as as the uh, as the uh, customer in the, in the shop. Uh, that, that was really that was really great. I, I, I definitely enjoyed uh, his his appearance. And and then the song coming back was absolutely wonderful because uh, everyone knows that song. It's a classic. Yeah, I mean, once you hear that song, it's hard to get it out of your head. I remember hearing it in like, it was randomly inserted at the end of the Simpsons episode I watched as a kid. And 
it was like such an earworm you know that song like it's it just stays in there oh for sure i forget the name of this like devil looking ghost thing but he's feeling very irritated and like yelling and whatnot like as he's being defeated but it's like a really satisfying moment like seeing him get taken down and then seeing gruberson like regain his identity and then he like uh, goes up to the ghostbusters as like can i try and they like let him use the equipment on like but on like the ghost yeah yeah they call him Mephisto, actually. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought that was, like, a really funny fanboy type of moment. Like, you would go to, like, the heroes that you look up to and be like, hey, can I play? Or, like, something like that. Yeah, well, I mean, you get that in Ghostbusters 2 with um, the, one of the uh, the artists, one of the singers has the cameo, similar to the Ray Parker Jr. one here, where uh, he asks if uh, his kid brother can have a proton pack. So this is kind of taking that the next step where you have the, the kid wanting to uh, take part, to be interested and to, to be connected and just see certain stuff that's interesting to them. And they want to be uh, included. Yeah. So once they're rid of the ghosts, like... Uh, all the people who are, like, still there, like, have stopped screaming, and they, like, applaud the Ghostbusters, and it's just this really, it's a, I keep saying triumphant, but I don't know, like, what other word to use, really. It's just this very satisfying bow that you tie at, on the top of the present, or whatever, where it's like, yeah, the Ghostbusters came back, they did this thing, and they're as strong as before, if not stronger. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. They they are they've emerged victorious, and they're walking through the the charred remains of the the harvest festival, and people are excited to see them. You know, and the local government officials are are there, and uh, you know, I, yeah, how do we thank you and everything? And Peter Bankman's like, don't worry, we'll send you the bill, and it's just. <laughs> You know, he's just uh, always thinking of how to uh, cash a check. But it is fun. It, they they end all the movies on that kind of upper note with the uh, the chanting of the name, and it's, it's fun to see everyone focused on um, the the real real heroes. You know, of course, Phoebe and Trevor. So it's just it's great to have them all together, and for for the ending shot to be uh, them with their mom, and just kind of uh, the wink and nod to this this is the Spanglers, and they're here to stay. Also, during that, we'll send you the Bill moment. I couldn't help but think of it as, like, we'll send you the Bill Murray, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That works, too. That works, too. Yeah. (laughs) So we get this epilogue scene where, like, Trevor and Phoebe are, like, taking notes, like, as, like, the older Ghostbusters are, like, teaching them about, like, ghost mythology and whatnot. So it's, like, they're kind of training because, like, they're interested in it as a career path i guess i don't know but um yeah gruberson is taking notes as well and he has more notes than the kids do he's just like really into it like his pencil has gotten super short where to a point where it's just the eraser and the and the tip <laughs> just how into it he is yeah well i mean it's great because you know he wants to be a ghostbuster and he's basically saying that he's you know he's going to train to be one and we got to see him use or wear a proton pack in in this film but it wasn't part of the climatic scene it was just uh hey look at this cool stuff that's at my family's house and he just happens to check it out with them because with him being 
part of the and battle on the wrong side of things he didn't get to participate you know he 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 got to be a ghostbuster but not all the, he didn't get the full experience he didn't actually get to bust a ghost because he technically kind of was one uh when it matters so now he's like hey i need to write it down as much as i can because i want to be the guy taking care of business in the next one <laughs> Yeah, watch him get possessed again. In the next yeah, he won't get that opportunity. This or Hawk, no. Hawkeye in the Avengers. <laughs> yeah. Well, we we get introduced that he's actually, he has passed and he's the ghost they're busting in the first one. It's just like, I missed my opportunity. <laughs> uh, I think it's Phoebe who asks this. She asks Ray if there are any friendly ghosts. And he was like, well, I met one, but that might be a story for another time. And so I think that's like a little... Uh, reference to like his cameo in Casper so <laughs> yeah. I mean if they ever do a crossover like that little line is there certainly absolutely I think they should go for it yeah well we get the credits and it has like the Ghostbusters theme again but what do you think of the post credit scene I, you know, they have to link it to the future. You want to leave it open-ended because as much as they wanted this to maybe bring a conclusion to uh to the original cast they want to leave it open to continue the story for the future so i think the way that they did it um is in is intriguing um with uh really focusing on um the character played by logan kim and who his family or who his re- relationship uh really are uh and his past and who he's linked to uh, i don't it doesn't appear that it's going to be anything we know about, but they make allusions with some symbols uh, that Logan Kim's story is not over. Uh, and we're going to find out more in, in the sequel. And I, I don't think it's one of those where Logan Kim is uh, a a bad guy, but I think that he has some connections to some shady parts of history that could rear its head in the sequel. Right. Yeah. Logan Kim was like Phoebe's classmate i can't remember the name of this character yeah it's escaping me this entire time i can't put my finger on it but it was fun because you know he has just a small role in this but uh they clearly want to keep the relationship that that him and mckenna grace uh, established in this they they worked really well together and i think uh, maybe focusing it on him and his family the next one it might be the right way to go and that's what the direction that they looks like they're taking yeah, it's like you have these like little appearances by other characters here and there, and it's like you can explore more of them in the next one. Because like, you know, this one was about focusing on like uh, the Spanglers and like their reintroduction to the original characters. So now there's like room to explore more of the characters of the updated setting. So that could be interesting. Absolutely. There was also one cameo appearance that I really loved, which was when, um, you know, after the Harvest Festival, there's like these news broadcasts, like flipping through channels, people talking about the Ghostbusters. And you see Jack Black uh, playing this dude on the street with a guitar. And he's like, I came up with a song in honor of them. And he starts playing and he's singing, when you're walking down the street and you see a little (laughs) ghost. What you gonna do about Ghostbusters? Like yeah, that's great. I like little uh, Be Kind Rewind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I got a really good chuckle out of that moment because, like, I feel like lots of people forget about that movie, Be Kind Rewind, but, like, you know, where they're trying to, like, redo Ghostbusters on, like, a super low, like, no budget. No much. budget, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was, it's... 
hilarious. Yeah, very, very well done. So I was disappointed we didn't get Rick Moranis, you know, and I was hoping for a bigger role from from Annie Potts, but she really didn't make that big of an appearance. Um, you know, it was nice to have her back, but uh, it wasn't overwhelming. It wasn't as uh, in depth as some of the uh, some of the other re- returners had. But yeah, the the absence of Rick Moranis was a disappointment. Yeah, Janine had some snarky remarks here and there, which is like classic Janine, but um. She could have done more, so hopefully they'll have her do more in the next one. And yeah, it'd be great to have Rick Moranis back for the next one as well. I think he retired or something from acting for a while. He did, yeah, for a long time. And he's just now starting to come back into the fray. He was on Disney Plus's Prop Culture talking about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And he's coming back for that sequel or reboot or whatever it is. I guess it's a reboot. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but I I've heard it's titled Shrunk, which yes, yeah, makes me think of Shrek whenever I hear it. So I, <laughs> I don't know if they're trying to cash in on that DreamWorks money, which would be weird. But um, yeah, I don't know. Hopefully he comes back. But I was glad to have like all the returning people that we did get in this one. So I guess with that, we can go into final thoughts and score out of 10. So where are your final thoughts and score out of 10? Uh, this movie, uh, I feel like it hit almost all the right notes. I think you know, we talked a little bit maybe about some of the, the humor was pushed a little bit with Gruberson's character at, at some points, but everything else I thought was well done. I thought there were some surprises, some twists. Uh, they They diverted expectations in a good way. And I feel like they had the right balance of the returning main characters. Sure, I would have liked to have more from Annie Potts as Janine, but I think the way they incorporated, introduced, and seamlessly merged the likes of uh, Ernie Hudson, uh, Bill Murray, and Dan Aykroyd's characters into the main story at the right time, at the right pace, worked really well. Uh, I, I enjoyed um, the new characters. I think uh, Finn Wolfhard uh, did his best to differentiate his character of Trevor from uh, Stranger Things. And I think uh, McKenna Grace as the really the, the main lead and the, the heroine uh, was done really well. And I think she is prepared to carry the torch of the Spangler name uh, into the future. I think Jason Reitman did his uh, his family proud and he brought out an incredible Ghostbusters film uh, in the footsteps of his father's first two. And I very much uh, look forward to what the future holds. Um, you know, Ghostbusters Afterlife 2 can't come soon enough. Uh, I'm going to go with, uh, you know, do you do, do you do you like decimals or are you not a decimal person? I can oh. keep it whole if you want. Oh, yeah, definitely do decimals. Like. You, you like decimals? Okay, <laughs> yeah. then I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with an 8.8 out of 10. I think it was there were there were a little bit uh, of things that I, I think just don't quite make it a nine for me, but I very much enjoyed it. Uh, so it's it's a high eight and I, I think 8.8 sounds good. So that's where I'm going to go. All right, nice. I think for me, it's a, it's a solid 8 out of 10. Again, like, I'm not as big of a Ghostbusters fan. Like, I did enjoy the other films, but, like, not to the extent of, like, other people really love them, you know? So I don't have, like, as much of a reverence, but I also, like, really liked what Afterlife did, how it uh, put new life in this like, I guess this side of the Ghostbusters canon, you know, that original timeline, I thought it did a decent job. And 
you know, uh, like you said, it, since it's not that specific configuration of all the original cast together, like, you know, we have a couple people missing. It's kind of tough to recapture some of that magic. You know, that was like the main draw. But I do think bringing a couple new characters like, you know, Phoebe and Trevor and Gruberson, like they added something new, even if it wasn't exactly like the older ones but again you want like newer stuff and not just the same old things but yeah i think the original actors did a great job uh reprising their roles like the ones that we got and you know maybe next one could one up this one i guess we'll just have to wait and see yeah i think they started a, a nice base a nice foundation to continue uh the franchise onward if uh everyone is into that so i think it was a, a solid sequel and a good start for uh, the future ghostbusters after afterlife <laughs> right life after afterlife <laughs> sony give us money <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh all right so Thanks again for being on this, Joey. Where can people find your stuff? So you can find everything I do on jmnjrradio.com. You can hit up my main show, which is the Joe Mays and JRAF show. Every Sunday evening, we talk about a variety of professional sports, usually focusing on the NFL. So if you're interested in my other takes on pop culture, movies, television, definitely hit up Tangents with Friends. I do that with uh, my friends on an irregular basis, uh, and I'm always looking for uh, for guests. So, uh, you know, Stephen, if you're ever interested in joining me on that, we can talk some stuff uh, similar to the way the guys at IPC do. Nice. Yeah, that'd be fun to be on if we can, like, think of a great topic to talk about. I'd be totally down. Yeah, uh, well, we'll definitely, uh, we'll definitely try to work that out here in the future. So, yeah, we've done this, like, little 80s nostalgia thing on delayed replay with like this and Top Gun Maverick and I guess also Wonder Woman 1984 earlier this year. Uh, but now next episode will be more of a 90s nostalgia thing, I guess, with the Candyman remake. I kind of wonder if like we're ever going to be ready for like a 90s renaissance, you know? I sometimes I feel like, you know, a lot of people focus on the 80s and talk about the 80s, but I think the 90s has been brewing for a while. And I think that's something that's right around the corner. Uh, you know, we're 20 years removed from the final year of the 90s. So it's 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 definitely coming up soon. Uh, and I think, honestly, there's aspects that have started now. I mean, really, the 90s have never left with the Jurassic Park franchise still going strong. Everyone's still linked up with that. And there's a lot of aspects of the 90s that uh, remain in pop culture. And we're going to shift the spotlight to the 90s stuff here real soon, I think. Yeah, there, there have been some things where there have been 90s nostalgia like shows and whatnot, but like maybe people weren't ready for them yet. It's kind of this theory I have. Like back in 1999, there's that show Freaks and Geeks, which got canceled after one season. It takes place in the 80s, but like at that time, people were like really into that 70s show. So maybe we weren't like ready for an 80s show like that. And within the last few years, there's this Netflix show called Everything Sucks, which is set in the 90s. And I thought it was really good, but that got canceled as well. So I don't know. Maybe we'll see like a 90s renaissance sometime this decade. We'll just have to wait and see. I definitely think that's in the cards. I think that'll be coming uh, sooner than later. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a significant uh, 
movie franchise brought back or a television show set in that time period in the next five years? We've had period piece like Captain Marvel set in the 90s, which had some nostalgia, I guess, with like Blockbuster and whatnot. And Dark Phoenix was set in the 90s, but it did really focus on the 90s aspect, which was kind of weird, but also kind of refreshing. But yeah, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. And like on the Candyman remake episode, I guess we on delayed replay will like talk about like 90s nostalgia as well. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. But <laughs> but yeah, if you want to find my stuff, uh, you can follow me at Stephen Schinder on Instagram and Twitter. Also, Stephen Schinder Storytelling on Facebook. And you could go to stephenschinder.com to find info on my fantasy horror comedy novel, Lemons of McRain, which is available on Amazon. And you can also follow Culture Slate on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube. I've been helping with some memes and articles there. So it's entertainment, news, and memes. So check that out. I'll also go to cultureslate.com. And yeah, I'll put all these links in the show notes. And if you want to email the podcast, which I doubt since we haven't gotten like emails from listeners so far, but if you want to email delayed replay podcast at gmail.com, let us know what you think of our coverage and of any of the movies and other things that we've talked about. And we might read your thoughts on the show. Uh, we are on Spotify apple google although i'm i think i'm not sure if google play is gonna still be a thing as far as podcasts are concerned but we'll see uh also youtube and you can also find us on uh channel 1138.com slash delayed replay all right without further delay have a good day oh weird i'm getting a call from a number i don't recognize should I answer the call? Eh, why not? Hello? Ah! Do you know who I am? Are you a ghost? No. I'm sending this message via hologram. I am the master of the can of worms. The can of worms? Oh my gosh, I remember them again. What are you all up to? We've been listening to your podcast. I enjoyed the Ghostbusters Afterlife one, but I have questions. Uh, what questions? I am confused about the timeline of the movie regarding the ages of the Spangler family members. Oh, that's... Yeah, I guess we kind of gloss over that, but... They gloss over it in the movie as well. You know, there's a flux capacitor, so, you know, that car time traveled at some point and that did some weird things with Spangler's family and hence the ages and of like the kids and their parents and grandparents and all that. So, uh, yeah, difficult to explain under pressure like this. I have another question. Okay. What other crossovers can there be other than the possible one with Casper? Uh, I don't know. I mean, 
I guess an easy one would be a crossover with some Sony property, so I don't know, Pixels? You could have the Ghostbusters teaming up with Pac-Man against ghosts. And come to think of it, the characters in Pixels were kind of like Ghostbusters and how they acted and operated, but I mean, I don't know if the world is exactly clamoring for a crossover with an Adam Sandler movie, but Pixel was not bad like some of his other works. Uh, I definitely enjoyed it more than I thought I would, but it also had cringeworthy moments. One last question for now. Yeah? Are you going to be ready when we go after you? I'd honestly rather you all stay away from here. That is not an option. Be prepared, Stephen Schinder. Hello? Hello? Wait, what was I just talking about? Uh, I don't know. It'll come back to me eventually.